looking at all-star cards for the disciples, this would be uh, one of the guys. He had the best uh, batting average, uh, really, in my opinion, among all of them. You have Peter, James, and John. Those were kind of your three leadoff hitters. And John is the only one left alive at this time. He's, he's probably up in his mid-80s. He's on this uh, penal colony of Patmos. And by the way, John wasn't on Patmos by himself. Um, it was a penal colony. It was a prison on an island. If you could think, uh, it was the ancient equivalent to Alcatraz. And John wasn't there because of espionage or because he had stormed the capital. He was there for one reason and one reason only. In fact, he tells us what that is there in verse 9. I was on the Isle of Patmos because, church, say because. He was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The reason why John was in Alcatraz is because he, is, he had faithfully uh, preached the word of God, that gospel message of Jesus, and that is what he was there for. And uh, near the end of John's life, he writes these words, and I, he wrote the book of 1 John after Revelation. So the words I'm about to read to you came after this experience, came after this vision. He says this. He says, the life appeared... The life is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. How? Through Jesus. So I want you to understand that, that a, a, an all-star disciple is writing this, but he doesn't consider himself an all-star. In fact, in the very first verse of where we're going to be at today, John basically says, y'all, I'm just like you. I'm not a superstar. I'm not a rock star. I, I have suffering in my life like you do. I have pain and tears in my life just like you. This is what uh, I'd like to do. On the passage, it's kind of long. So I'd like to read the odd verses in church. I'd like you to respond back with the even verses. Here we go. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. I was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and because of the testimony of Jesus. Church. Which said, write on the scroll which you see and send it to these seven churches. The church at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And among the lampstands were someone like the Son of Man. He was dressed in a robe, reaching all the way down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Man, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, cherry red, and his voice was like a sound of rushing waters. You could hear it everywhere. And when I saw him, I only did one thing. I fell at his feet as if I was dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Hey, John, cousin, don't be afraid. I'm the first and I'm the last. Those holding of the keys of death and Haiti represent control. The mystery of the, uh, nope, right there for what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Um, let's think about Patmos for a second. 
it was an island, an Alcatraz, all right? It wasn't a beach resort. It wasn't uh, Oak Island, North Carolina. It was, it, it was, it was rough. Um, if you were on this island with a bunch of other people, and those people were criminals, thieves, espionage folks, rebellion leaders, how, do you, how would have you felt being surrounded by that element? If you've worked as a guard out at Menard, then you, you couldn't understand this. If you've been an STA person out at uh, mental health, you're going to be able to relate to this, or maybe your husband or your wife was or is. How would, how would have John felt there? You think it was a party? Good time? Probably had a shirt? Hey, I went to Patmos. Uh, how do you think you felt? You think it was a good place to be? I think it was hard. I think it was, I think it was arduous. I think it was very difficult. It would have been a stinky place to be. Um, but in this horrible, stinky place to be, God comes to him and gives him the most powerful revelation that John ever received in his entire life. I want to tell you the takeaway for, for me is this. It's in our most difficult, loneliest, darkest, darkest, stinkingest, difficult time. Man, that's when God can come in and give us the most powerful word or the most powerful blessing we've ever received in our entire life. It's when you're in the bottom of the pit that sometimes, sometimes, God will give you the greatest message or the greatest word. And that's exactly where old John was. He was in Patmos and the voice appeared to him. I want to look at the voice today. I want to see, I want to see and I want to hear and listen to the things that this voice spoke to John the Revelator. Because his voice changes things. Because the voice emboldens us. We're going to look at the appearance of the voice, the ministry of the voice, and the touch of the voice. Let's dig in. Hey, how you doing, girl? Hey, by the way, Kelsey had her baby this week. She had her baby. So yeah, if you're watching us at home, Kelsey, we love you and Lucas and love you guys let's talk about the appearance of the voice because the appearance of the voice changes us forever y'all jesus is real he always has been real he was real two thousand years ago and he's real today the devil has a plan and a scheme to make us believe that jesus is either a fraud he's a lunatic a crazy guy or maybe if if, if the devil can really do a good job he'll convince people that jesus never lived period you know, there's no such thing as a, as a real, literal person named Jesus. Um, but the truth of the matter is, if Jesus is real, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he's going to fulfill the promise of coming back, then we better live and act accordingly. If Jesus is real and every word he's spoken is, is true, then it, it, it affects us, it changes us. I want to read a passage to you. Uh, it's a passage out of a history book, a first century history book, a Romano-Jewish historian by the name of Flavius Josephus. He, he wrote a collection of books. And by the way, he was a Jew that was captured by the Romans, and instead of killing him, he was an educated, articulate man. They said, uh, we want you to write the history of what we're doing here in, in Palestine, Israel. So okay, don't kill me, I'll write it. And so he's a very learned man. This is an extra-biblical source. But this is what Flavius Josephus, by the way, when Flavius wrote this, he wrote this about the same time John was on Patmos writing the book of Revelation. Josephus, Flavius Josephus, is telling us about this real person named Jesus. This is what he wrote. Now there was about this time Jesus, a, a wise man. It was, it would, if it would be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works. Again, this is not the Bible. This is an extra this is an extra biblical source that was written in the first century. This is what they said back then. If you would think of it, this is what the USA Today paper would have said 2,000 years ago to describe Jesus. A teacher of such men has received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was Christ. He was the Messiah. He is the Lord. 
And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Caiaphas, the high priest, when Pilate, at the suggestion of those principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first, they didn't forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again on the what? We're seeing an extra biblical source saying that Jesus was a real person, died on a real cross, rose from a real grave. He appeared to them alive again on the third day as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things that Jesus did. Now here's the truth of the matter is, you go to college, students, you go to college and you sit in a class where it says, well, Jesus was a fraud or he was a philosopher or he was a revolutionary guy or, or he was this, a teacher, or he was a good moral man. Um, but they get away from the fact that he is the Christ. They get away from the fact that he is the Messiah. He is the life. There's even, if your kids go to college or, or whatever, and even in some high school classes, uh, they'll say that Jesus really wasn't a person, but they put Jesus into a Greek parable or a Greek uh, religion story uh, because the Greeks have a story about somebody who rose from the grave. And so when our kids go to school and when you have conversations with coworkers, they try to tell us that Jesus was not the Christ, was not the Messiah. Oh, he was a good man. He was a philosopher. He was this or he was that. But church, I want you to understand something. He didn't appear as a philosopher. He didn't appear as an educator. He didn't appear as a financier. He didn't appear as a moral man. He appeared as the Savior. That was his appearance. And when we understand the true uh, intensity and the true depth of, his, the depth of his appearance, man, it changes us. We'll never see the same again. We'll never listen the same again. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.16. When we accept Jesus, when we understand that the Messiah has appeared to us, the Bible says from this time on, when we receive our salvation, from this time on, when we realize that Jesus is who He says He was, from this time on, we don't think anymore as the world does about Jesus. Instead, in the past, we thought of Christ as the world thinks. Philosopher, teacher. But we no longer think of Him that way. Because we know He's a suffering servant that died on the cross to take away our sins. He's more than a historical figure. He's more than a sincere philosopher. He is more than a radical revolutionary. Church, we need a fresh voice. We need a fresh vision of the voice. We need to understand who He is. He is the Messiah. The eternal, risen, and glorified Jesus now. Now, if I were sitting where you were at, man, we read all kinds of things that Jesus is wearing. Golden, uh, golden sash, white robe, his hair. Let's deal with the hair, okay? Uh, he has a voice that sounds like an ocean. Um, have you ever been out to the ocean and no matter how you turn, you hear the water? You can be half a mile away and you still hear it. Doesn't matter where you turn. When John said he had a voice like uh, many waters, what he was saying is I couldn't tell where the sound was coming from other than behind me because the sound filled the atmosphere. The sound filled the room. But let's take apart some of these things because they're interesting. There's a lot going on, and I think I could probably fill up a whole message with just the description of what he's, what he's wearing and things like that. Let's talk about the voice of the voice. The voice sounded like a shofar or a trumpet of God. In fact, we're going to show, I'm going to show you here in a second a, a passage in Exodus. The passage in Exodus is when God gives Moses on top of Mount Sinai the Ten Commandments. And this is what the people heard. I want you to remember what John heard about the voice and then what the people heard because they're identical. Exodus 1916 on the morning of the third day there was thunder and there was lightning with a thick cloud on the mountain there was a very loud blast from a what this is a real shafar it's a ram's horn 
Um, this was the sound that in Exodus they described the voice as God. Now, when that was blown, did it jar your, your, your bones? Well, that's what happened. It's a frightening sound. When Jericho and the priest and his soldiers were marching around, marching around Jericho, that would have been the type of horn that they blew before the walls came tumbling down. That was the sound that John heard. He said, whoa, what was that? When it happened in Exodus, the, the people said, whoa, what was that? Well, man, that's the voice of God. It shakes you. It stirs you. Something changed. Let's talk about his hair and his face. He talk, he, his face was shining and he had this beautiful white hair. And you think, well, that sounds awful familiar. And that was John's description. But you have to go all the way back to the Old Testament to the book of Daniel. Daniel had a similar experience. He had a similar audience with the Ancient of Days. This is what old Daniel wrote. He says, I looked, as I looked, thrones were put up in their place and God, church say God, who's been alive forever. Well, he sat on his throne. His clothes were white like, just like in Revelation 1. And his hair on his head was white like, just like in Revelation 1. See, guys, Daniel and John are seeing the same person. Oh, but, da but John's seeing Jesus. you got to understand something. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son are all God. No wonder they look alike. They share the same nature, the same characteristics. And so when Daniel is describing God, no wonder John has the same description. His eyes, mouth, and feet. His eyes. What's shining out of his eyes? What that means is this. He can look right through you. He can see your heart, your pain, your hurt, your sadness, your grief, and your loss. He sees the pride. He sees the lust. He sees the sin too. But he has eyes that see into our hearts. So he has that. And by the way, Matthew 10, 26 tells us, so don't be afraid of these people because everything that is hidden will be shown. Everything that is done in secret will be revealed. Church, God has always had 20-20 vision. We can't hide anything from him. If we're sad, he knows it. If we're angry, he knows it. If we're disappointed, he knows it. He sees through us. His mouth and his feet, man, those feet are strong and they're steadfast. Those burning cherry red feet that have been hardened and have been solidified and have been strengthened. Church, those same feet are standing in your corner. Those same feet are able to tread on the head of his enemies. Those feet are sure. So let's go a little bit further. You've heard that the clothes make a man. Let's look at the clothes. Revelation 1.3. And among the lampstands, and by the way, lampstands in this are, are churches. Not menorahs that are seven branches that feed from the, the same. But these lampstands, which are churches, stand on their own. Because things have changed. We're not Israel, and Israel's not the church. We're different. You've heard the clothes make a man, but I want you to look at this. And among the lampstand, among the churches, was someone like the son of a man, uh, son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and a golden sash around his chest. Man, that sounds like a good outfit, a solid outfit. But I want you to understand something. Everything in that is a description, and it is a shadow, and it is a type of something. Well, well let's talk about the robe. This was not the robe of the king. This was not really even the pro. Uh, the robe of a prophet, although Jesus is king and although Jesus is prophet. This is the robe of a priest. Exodus chapter 28, verse 4. When Judaism was getting off the ground, I mean, God gave these people 
very specific instructions on what the priests were supposed to do, what they were supposed to wear, how they were supposed to do things. And back in the day, uh, the priests were the ones who were in charge of the house of God. They had to make sure that there was oil in the lamps, make sure all the wicks were trimmed, make sure that there was a table on the uh, table of showbread, making sure that the wine was there, making sure there was incense in the altar of incense, making sure that there was wood out in front for the brazen altar. They made sure that the house of God was in order. They made sure everything was in its proper place and facing the right direction. That's what the, priest, uh, the high priest did. The, the buck stopped with him. He was in charge of the house of God. Exodus 28.4 These are the garments they are to make for the priest. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his son so they may serve as priest the priest has a very distinct outfit it's the robe with the stat with a with a sash and i've told you what the priest's job were they were there to make sure that the house of god ran right church when jesus appears in this white robe with the gold sash he's not appearing as the king although he is the king he's not appearing as a prophet although he is a prophet he appears as the high priest of the church look at this the Bible tells us in Hebrew 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he never sinned. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of the high priest is running the church. Our high priest, Jesus, has the authority to make sure that the lampstands, the churches, stay burning brightly. If there's a problem, Jesus speaks a word into it. If there's an issue, Jesus speaks a word into it. If there's a conflict, Jesus speaks a word into it. Church, the high priest gave seven churches, the seven lampstands of the first century, a spiritual checkup. And he gives a diagnosis and he gives a prescription for each one of them. He says, Ephesus, I see what you're doing. But this I've got against you. This is how you correct it. Church at Smyrna. I love you. This is what you're doing right. But this is what you're doing wrong. I've got that against you. Every church the high speaks to. He has a diagnosis. And he has a prescription. The lampstands by the way. Were not like that Jewish menorah. The seven stands. Uh, the seven lamps that feed from one. Instead the churches kind of stand individually. The church stands on our own. That's why there was a church. There was, that's why there was a letter written to Smyrna. A letter written to Ephesus. A letter written to Thyatira. A letter written to Laodicea. A letter written to Philadelphia. All of these churches receive their own letter because their individual lamp stands. Now the candlesticks don't provide the light. The candlesticks, the lamp stands, don't provide the light. They get the light from the high priest. All the candlesticks do is hold the light. And if they don't, if they don't continue to burn bright... The high priest will come over and see what's wrong. What does that say about Jesus' interest in the lampstand that's First Baptist Church of Chester? What does that say about the high priest and his vested interest in the church you attend, the church you serve at, the church you give your tithe to? What does that say about Jesus? It says this, church, the ministry of Jesus, the appearance of the voice and what he does. Jesus is the high priest of this church and it's his job to keep the lamp burning. The ministry of the voice is to inspect his church. To fill it with the vital oil of the Spirit. To keep the church shining bright. Church, that's his ministry. Heard a story one time about a little boy. He was an honorary boy. 
and he came to he he was on the playground. He found a little bird down on the ground, and uh, you know, kid was probably a sociopath. He picks this bird up, he puts it behind his back, and he goes to the substitute teacher. Uh, he just doesn't know anything about this kid, um, and the the little boy says, "Hey, guess which hand behind my back has a baby bird in it?" And the teacher didn't know, you know, but but everybody around the kid knew. Like I said, what was going to happen was if the woman, if the if the substitute teacher picked the left hand, it was it was going to be empty, and he was going to show her the bird in the other hand. But if she picked the right hand where the bird was, everybody knew what this kid would do. He would crush the bird in his hand. Now I tell you that for this reason: the little boy was in control. He wasn't protecting the bird with his hand. He was controlling with his hand. Now when we look at what's in Jesus' hand, we're seeing control, not protection. We're seeing control. Jesus is saying, I control the lampstands. I control the stars. I control um, I, I control what's going on of Hades and death. I've got control of them. God is calling the shots. Church, when we look at those lampstands, they represent the local church. Let's talk about the stars in his right hand. By the way, in the Old Testament, the right hand, and we're talking about the ministry of the voice. The right hand in the Old Testament was a hand of blessing. It was a hand of anointing. It was a hand of favor. It was a hand of hospitality. Even today, when we shake hands, which hand do we use? It's a hand of blessing. The stars in Jesus' right hands are called, what are they called in verse 20? They're called stars, but they're also called angels, and they're also called messengers. Well, if the lamp stands that the voice is standing in are churches, then the stars or the angels or messengers in his hands will be the leaders that God sends to that church, whether it's pastors or leadership or deacons, things like that. They were the earthly instruments that Jesus used to head up each individual church. He used a star at Ephesus. He used a star at Philadelphia. He used a star at Laodicea. He used a star for all those churches, and all of them are in his hands. And you might be saying, well, well, well preacher, that sounds kind of like a big deal. It kind of is a big deal. And it's a lot of responsibility and a lot of accountability. Hebrews 13, 7 is going to tell us something, and you may not like it, but I do want to read it to you. Um, Obey your leaders and, and submit to their authority. And this is talking about the leadership and the authority of the church. And I want I wanted to bring you back to Revelation 1 real quick. You know, Jesus is holding these, these pastors or these leaders in his right hand. He sends them. They're called angels or messengers because angels are sent. God sends the church the pastor that, that they need. God sends the church the leaders that they need. That's why they're called angels. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, you look at that and you say, man, I, I, preacher ain't nobody. They put their pants on the same way we, I do. And you're right. You're right. But that doesn't change the fact of what we just read. It doesn't change the fact uh, that this is what the voice has, has called us to do. And you might be saying, well, preacher, I'm a Baptist. I've got a right to vote, and I'll let you know what I want to do. Okay, well, you've also got a Bible, too. Read that thing. Probably lots of things that lots of churches do are just tradition. They're not Scripture. 
when you step into a ministry at CFBC, whether it's Pray and Go, a connect group, whether it's the Unfit Band or a student ministry, you name it, it's important that you know whose ministry you just got into. Honey, that's not your ministry. That's the high priest's ministry. And if you go into that ministry and, and you half do things, you're, sen you're sending a very clear message to God. Oh, I'll be there three out of four, really. I'll tithe every other week, really. Preacher, I don't believe you're saying that. Hey, I got to give an account. And if you say, well, I didn't know, God's going to come to me and say, stupid, why didn't you tell them? You see how that works? I didn't give because the preacher didn't tell me to give. I'm going to have to be the one to be held accountable, so why didn't you tell them about tithing? Well, I didn't know how to pray. Mike, how come you didn't teach him about that? I wasn't discipled. Mike, why didn't you teach him about that? So what do you need to change, to, what do you need to change about how you do ministry? Truth, truth be told, some of you are not involved in any ministry here. This is the ministry you're doing. How do you think that sets with a guy with a white robe? I'll just leave it there. The voice in the white robe and that hair, they run the church. I want you to listen. I'm not going to go into all that I did last night. Colossians 1, 17, 18. He, Jesus, is before all things and in him all things together. And he is the what? He's the what? He's the head of the body, head of the church. Well, that makes sense because he is, he is her high priest. Uh, there's another passage in Ephesus that compares the man of the house compared to Jesus being the, the man of the church. First church leaders are to surrender to the ultimate leadership of Jesus Christ. And then church, what we're supposed to do is follow Jesus first, the over-shepherd, and then follow the, the, the leaders of the church the under-shepherds. That's the ministry that he gives us. So while every church will have its own local leaders, the ultimate leader of every church, whether it's St. John's, St. Mary's, or Calvary Temple, Jesus is the head of all of them. Jesus is the head of them, of them all. And here's the thing. If he's not, something's messed up. Something's wrong. Because this is what the voice has told us. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. The Apostle Paul says, hey, as your pastor, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 1 Peter 5, 3, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That's saying the pastor should not be a dictator, should not be, uh, you know, exercising his will, making people do things. Um, it's a shepherd's heart that we're to have. Church, while every church will have its own local leaders, the ultimate leader of every church is, is Jesus. And this is what he said in Matthew 16, 18. He said, upon this rock, I will build the Catholic church. Nope. Upon this rock, I'll build the Baptist church. Nope. Upon this rock, I'll build the Lutheran church. Nope. Upon this rock, you, you get it? He says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. This isn't your church. It's not my church. Thank God it belongs to him. If there's a problem, it's his. If there's a shortage, then he's got the problem. And you see, once we put the church in the hands of the one who owns it, all we have to do is get busy doing what the voice has told us to do. He diagnoses the problem, then he gives a prescription. Lastly, let's do this thing. The touch of the voice. We've talked about the appearance. We've talked about the ministry. Now let's talk about the voice. I'm sorry, the touch of the voice. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now if he was on TV, we would say, well, that's all fake. Then he placed his right hand on me. You remember what was in the right hand? The stars. The preachers, the messengers, the right hand, the right hand of blessing. He reaches down with his right hand on me, touches him, okay? That's the touch of the voice. John, cousin, don't be afraid. 
I'm first and last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I told, I control the keys of death and the grave. Okay. Let's deal with the whole thing about John falling down. Anybody ever got a hold of a 110, out, uh, a 110 bear cord? Make you feel good? Boy, you feel that when you get a hold of it. You feel that electricity flow through your body. Jump back, you drop it if you can. When Abraham had a similar encounter with God, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 17, verse 3, this is what Abraham did. It says he fell face down. Moses, when God came to him, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that he trembled with fear. When Ezekiel had an encounter with God, he fell on his face three different times. And when Daniel had an a, a encounter with God, he said in Daniel 10, 8, I had no strength and I was helpless. Well, preacher, that's all Old Testament. God doesn't move that way like, like, like He did back then. Bull, you look in the book of Matthew on the Mount of Transfiguration, you've got Peter, James, and John. When the glory of heaven fell, every single one of them fell on the ground because this is what happens. If Jesus speaks to you and something doesn't change, something's wrong with you. Because when you get a hold of God, something has to give. When you get a hold of God, there is a change in your life. You can't be with the Master and go back to the way things used to be. You just can't. And so when the Lord touches us with His words and with His hand, we can't go on like nothing ever happened. Things will change. John could stand under the glory of Jesus and then the Lord reached out to him. The voice touched Jesus first and then the hand touched him. He says, John, don't be afraid, buddy. I'm here. I'm God. I'm the first and the last. Ain't nothing going to miss. I'm not going to miss anything. I'm your man. I am with you. In verse 18, he says, and behold, listen up. I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and Hades. Church, what Jesus was telling John is, John, you don't have any reason to fear the grave. And by the way, I know you're about 82 years old. Don't worry about death. I got it covered. Or John, I know you're at Patmos. You're surrounded with all these criminals and you feel so alone. But I want you to understand, you're not alone. I'm with you. I'm alive forevermore. Church, I've got good news for you. You might be going through your own personal hell today, but you're not going through it alone. If you turn around, you will see the one who's speaking to you. He's the voice. Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms, I am God. And if we neglect to act on the words of God found in his, his word, including the book of Revelation, church, we're going to get out on a limb and we're not going to know what direction to go into or what direction to run. Church, God gave us these words so we will know the voice of Jesus. You know, we live in a time where we hear so many other voices. Jesus isn't real. The church is, is old-fashioned. Uh, the church is out of touch. Uh, the Bible is just one book among many that has truth in it. Christianity is just one religion among many that you can, you know, you can be better with any other religion if you want to. But church, there's a, all those voices from the world. And you know, the thing is, people are listening to them. You want to know why the church is in the position it is and why the culture is in the way it is? They've, they've shut up the voice. They don't want to hear what the voice says. They don't even know the voice is real. You remember why I told you what devil's trying to do? He's trying to get the world to deny Jesus. To ignore who he is. To not believe the truth of who he is. My challenge to you today is to know that when you get a hold of the voice, you'll never be the same again. John wasn't. Once you see the appearance of the voice, you know that he's Lord. Once you see the ministry of 
the voice. You know he runs the local church. And once you feel the touch of the voice, you'll, have fi you'll find peace and comfort. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't need any music. I don't need any music. I don't want to do any music. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Hey, I know some of you today are, are going through pain. You're going through hurt. You're going through a period of no other way to put it. You're just going through your own personal little bit of hell right now. And you've got, you have so many questions and you have, you have so much pain and so much hurt. You're thinking, how will I ever get over this? How will I ever get through this? How will I ever survive? I want you to hear what the voice says to you today. Because I believe that the voice has a has a word that he wants to weigh in with you and this is this is what he says. He says, "Don't be afraid. I'm the first and I'm the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. You may be in that valley of the shadow of death. But my friend, you're not there alone. You're there with the first and the last. The one who was dead but now is alive and alive forevermore. The one who controls the valley is walking beside you. Lord God, today I pray that my listeners would, would take this home with them. They would take home this fact that the voice has spoken to them. And their words of power and their words of peace and their words of encouragement and their words of ministry. Lord, let us be ever attentive of what you're saying to us. And I ask this all in the name of our blessed Savior and King, Jesus. And amen. Y'all, I sent out a one call yesterday. And by the way, if you're not on one call, let Miss Pam know so we can make sure that you're getting the messages from the church. The message was uh, our church is going to reach out. We're helping a family here in town that's um, they lost a child this week. Very difficult, uh, very difficult week for them. And we are wanting to bless them. We're wanting to uh, to, to help them through this this tough time. And of course, we're going to pray for them and we're going to love them. And we're going to lift them up. Uh, but, you know, sometimes sometimes people need help. You know, they, they cover your prayers, but they, they need food on the table. Uh, they need to pay electric bills. So that's that's what we're going to do. We're going to be a stopgap. We're going to be, uh, uh, we're doing this in Jesus' name because he loves them and because he does, we do. So this morning, if you have a special offering above and beyond what you give to the church, I have uh, Dwayne Schaefer's old cowboy hat up here. And this is, we can't pass it around because of COVID, uh, but it's it's up here in the front. Uh, if you have a special offering that you would like for us to give to that family, then when we dismiss, I'm going to encourage you to come up and uh, and give that offering. Your regular offering goes in either that there's a there's a identical box in the foyer that's over here on the piano. That's for the regular offering. The hat that's passing the hat to help out a local family. Ridge, where are you at, Ridge? Ridge, you're gonna you have a, a real quick word of uh, announcement, and then you're gonna close us in prayer, right? Yes, sir.
Okay. I won't keep you long, guys, but I want to tell you a little bit about what we offer throughout the week on our social media platforms and everything like that. On Wednesdays, we do a little mm -hmm. midweek devotional, midweek moment, if you will. Yeah. It's where myself, Pastor Mike, and Brother Don Barry will just do a quick three-minute testimony. Unless if you're Mike Fogerson and Don Barry, it'll be about six minutes long. So, um, <laughs> you know, there's that. And something we're doing, we just started on Thursdays, we're doing CFEC through the years, and that's just a little bit of church history. This church was built in 1937. There's just a whole bunch of history that I don't want to lose, you know, a few funerals and all that history just gone. So we're trying to get that video to just be able to have it on stored. And also, every other Friday, we do a podcast here first, and we had Mr. Larry Smith on there this past week, and he was awesome. Yeah, I'll give him a great round of applause. After filming that, editing it, and everything like that, I'm telling you, he is a star in the making. Yes, he He's going to make it. <laughs> and then, <laughs> that's awesome. And also, every sermon that's preached here on Sunday mornings at Chester First Baptist Church is also on a podcast. I want to do something. Who listens to Spotify? Raise your hand. Where is that where you get your music? Apple? Apple music? Apple? All right, somebody's lying because I know everybody listens to music. But if you go to Spotify or Apple or even Google Podcast, that's on there. And just take advantage of that. I think God's doing something with that ministry that we're doing. And I just hope you guys take advantage of Rich, it. Rich, where would they see our podcast? Where would they see our uh, Here First and Three Minutes with Mike? Facebook and YouTube are our two main ones. On Facebook, our name is Chester ILFBC. And on YouTube, it is Chester FBC. If you go to our website, that's the easiest one because everyone knows that one. It's ChesterFBC.org, and that has a link to everything from there, but whatever gets you there. So, yeah, would you guys bow with me, please? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for just letting us come here this morning. God, just be able to worship your name, Father, get to learn more about you. And Jesus, your revelation. And Father, I just want to thank you so much for all that you do in our lives, God. I just pray that you'll bless us in this week, Father, and you'll be able to bring us back here next Sunday. Father, I ask this in your holy son's name, and amen. This Wednesday night, we have Connect Groups. Miss Linda Schaefer is teaching that. She did a great job. We have a meal at 5 o'clock, and group starts at 6. Trunk or treat in the back, bringing candy. It's going to be an awesome time. It is back this year.